Hey everyone. So today I would love to revisit the world of the Vikings, which incidentally is also the name of this book, Vikingenes Werte. And we've talked a little bit about Vikings before. Just last week we talked about their importance in the city in Novgorod, which they called Urmgard. And before that, you may remember, we had a look at where they were from, at how they terrorized Western Europe and established a lot of trade routes in Eastern Europe down to the Caspic, the Black Sea, the Mediterranean. And they moved to Iceland and from there onwards to Greenland and then even to what they called Greenland, which was in North America. So a lot of that has to do with kind of the external world that they explored. And I thought, you know what, I actually know very little about what the Vikings themselves look like or the sort of everyday life that they did, the houses they were in. And I thought it would be pretty cool to explore that. For, I think, a lot of people for a good deal of history, Vikings kind of look like that, right? If you go to the opera or if you look at old photos, this is kind of the image with these helmets with either horns or wings that were placed on them, the Valkyrie. So, there is an image that was popularized in the 19th century and throughout the 20th. And even if your image of the Vikings isn't quite like that, there's a good chance you've run into sort of more modern imaginations of them. When I scroll through TikTok, which frankly I do a bit too often, there will be some Viking-inspired makeup, there will be Viking-inspired music and fashion. And, you know, I really enjoy all that, but it's important that we see it as what it is, which is part of our modern imagination. And the past probably looked quite differently. Of course, we don't have any photos of what the past was like. But we do know for a fact that the helmets that the Vikings wore did not have wings or horns. They were probably conic in shape and had some nasal protection as you can see here. And I really likes it, these details that were added. So this particular one. 
I don't know if the helmets generally had actual patterns like this, but since this is part of an artwork, it definitely makes sense. We also get an impression what Vikings look like, how they like to wear their hair or their beard. Here we can see that there's a full beard, which was definitely popular and important. If you were not wearing a beard, it was often associated with just either people who were very young or, you know, not quite as manly maybe as one would hope. And we'll get into the specific outfits and fashion in a moment. I just want to briefly remind us of the area that we talk about. So we're here in Scandinavia. We have the Norwegian coastline. We have the Swedish one here along the Baltic Sea. And we have Denmark with the Skagerrak. So that path from the North Sea to the Baltic. And you can see that there are plenty of settlements. Quite a lot of them here in this area in Sweden. Here where we would find Oslo today. More across Denmark. But then also quite far up north, like here in Lofoten, which is a place that we're going to come back to later when it comes to housing. And we do know that there were some differences between these populations, of course, in terms of their language, which eventually moved further apart. Norwegian, or the old form of it, was more closely related to Icelandic and Swedish and Danish, were a bit closer together. But we also know that, for example, in some places there was a greater likelihood that people had red hair. In Sweden, for example, whereas further north, you would more often find blonde hair. So that tells us that there were different populations. For the Vikings themselves, their well probably looked a little like this. There's the North Sea and Baltic right at the center of where they live. So the waterways that allow us to explore other places that connect them to the rest of Europe as well as to Great Britain and Ireland, to Iceland, Greenland and Vinland, to the Caspian and Black Sea, to Miklagard, as they called Byzantium, Romerborg, Rome and Baghdad. I 
and all around they imagine the land to be surrounded by water and in their mythology there was Midgard one of the roots of Yggdrasil was taking hope another one went to Asgard one to Niflheim so then there were nine different worlds and you could move between them the mythologies told stories about deities meeting different creatures from other worlds so even if they themselves didn't travel there these nine worlds definitely were present in their stories but I think that's already moving a bit too much we wanted to look at some of the fashion So, if we want to know about day-to-day -day life, we do have some ideas what the people at the time were wearing. For women, we had an underdress, then a dress on top that was fastened either here or with a belt. They wore leather shoes and sometimes also a cloak. These brooches that you see, one and two, show a lot of detail. You can even see it here when they're quite small in this photo. So they usually had a lot of value if they could be afforded. If they wore a belt, they probably had a little purse there and they carried needles with them or a striker light, a small iron piece that allowed them to start a fire. For men, we have a tunic, we have trousers, and here we have a cloak. Again, usually with a belt. And we can see that this dropping light here also has a knife that he carries with him. The interesting thing is also we know that they knew how to make waterproof clothing, which if you think about it is pretty important when you're out on the sea all the time. What they did was they treated skin with first beeswax to make it soft and then with fish oil and then made it waterproof and probably made these journeys a lot more comfortable the material was often flax and while this might look quite simple and useful. We know that especially the upper class of course also was influenced by other styles like the clothes that were worn in uh, 
presents and there's one more important point when it comes to class when we think of the middle ages we often call them the dark ages so and that just brings up an image of you know poverty darkness no light no colors but in fact people were really into colors and they did know how to use different plants to dye uh, flax or wool so we do know that they had yellow clothes red ones blue purple and at times the vikings themselves were also thought to be quite fashionable this here is an illustration of the Bayeux tapestry that shows two guys in Danish fashion um, it was not um, condoned to wear Danish fashion but apparently it was popular and I want to draw your attention to the hairstyle which I find quite interesting you had long hair on top and on the front so you had bangs but then the neck was shaved or at least very short same for this guy here so it's kind of like a reverse mullet that's not something I've seen on the uh, Viking TikTok videos I don't know if they could be fashionable today They look quite happy. You can see this beautiful yellow clock. I really like the colors here. And the patterns. Also here on the tie. pattern of different colors look how nicely that changes so we see another example of these bushes and of these beautiful bright colors and there is just one more thing I want to show you about man's fashion and I think that's quite fascinating and that's the trousers they wore back then have a look at this guy here These are the kinds of trousers that were really, really fashionable among Vikings. So lots of fabric really bulging out along the um, thighs. And I don't know if they were also as colorful, but I just think it really goes against my idea of what I thought Vikings look like. If that was really uh, useful at sea, I don't know. 
they probably also had different kinds of fashion for different uh, events, I assume. Before we look at the houses that they lived in, I do want to quickly have another glance at some mythology. If you think about what Vikings were called, you might think of names like Ulf, which means wolf, or Björn, which means bear, or a name that we still use today in German is Arne, which means eagle. There's also, for example, Orm, which means serpent. So, plenty of names from animals. And animals, in fact, played a big part of Viking mythology. It was thought that a bear could give you strength, that a bird could give you vision. A wolf could make a warrior bloodless, a boar could make him fearless. And what you had to do was to just don a cloak made, for example, of wolf skin, and the power of the animal would take over. That's, for example, what berserker means. It's someone who dons the skin of a bear and turns into a bear himself. So it was almost like people were, in a way, shape-shifting. These borders between the human world and the animal world weren't as clear, it was not as divided as today. And we can also see that in some of the art of the time. One example here, this is from the story of Wayland. It's a bit of a gruesome story, so I won't tell it in detail. But basically Wayland um, was captured and forced to work for a king, which he didn't like, so he took revenge. And in the end, when he had taken his revenge, he rose up into the air, told the king about it, and then went off to freedom. It's not quite clear how he rose up into the air, whether he put on um, feathers, or whether he turned into a bird himself. So there's a bit of an ambivalence in the story, and we can see that here. We have the head of Wayland, we have his arms, his hands gripping the wings, the legs at the end. But then when we look at the wings themselves, it's not really clear. Is he wearing them like a cloak? Or are they part of his body? Did he in some way turn into a bird himself? There's a small detail, by the way, that tells us it's really a depiction of Wayland, and that's these little drops of blood. 
king told one of his archers to shoot him down. But the archer happened to be Wayland's brother, and of course, he didn't want to do that. He still bade the king though, and the arrow just hit Wayland here on the side. And drew a few drops of blood. So the archer did his job, and Wayland could escape. There is another similar example that we can see here. This is from a scabbard mount of gold. It's quite old. This is from the early 500s, so basically before what we think of as the Viking Age. It consists of two birds that are looking at each other. So we have the eyes here beak. These are their bodies with the wings. But if you look at it differently, you can also see the eyes of a man. This is his nose and a big impressive moustache. And a lot of art shows this kind of ambivalence. We cannot fully be certain if you're looking at a person or an animal. So the borders aren't as clear between the two worlds. And that would only change later with Christianity. However, I don't want to give you the impression that Christianity sort of sweeped in and completely changed the world from one moment to the other. The Viking era people, I think, just adopted Vite uh, Christ, the White Christ, alongside with their own gods. And we have evidence that Christianity and paganism probably existed alongside one another for quite a long time. So the shift was more gradual. But there's one other thing I wanted to look at, and that is how Vikings actually lived, or where they lived. I told you earlier that we would revisit the settlement all the way up in the north, in Lofoten. This is a reconstructed longhouse of the Viking Age. It's 83 meters long. It's part of a museum today, which I've not yet had the chance to visit, but I hope I can someday. The longhouse was at the center of a farm. Most Vikings lived on farms and six or seven farms together formed a small village. Of course it depends a bit in what region it was. If it was along the coasts, especially maybe more in Denmark, it might have been a bit busier. But here in the north we have this giant longhouse 
and the specific village we want to look at is actually from Denmark. This is from Vorbasse. And we can see here we have one, two, three, four, five, six longhouses that together form a village. There's a little road that leads through it. And these areas that are filled in show areas of activity. There is a bit of a vague description and unfortunately I haven't been able to find what exactly that means. But basically um, there's a lot of archaeological evidence that, you know, stuff happened there. Whereas towards the back, towards the fence here, there were fewer archaeological finds. So maybe these were the places where uh, they kept their cattle, their animals, etc. We also have some water here. We have a workshop. We have some smaller houses and of course a number of uh, stables would be included as well. And there should be a barn which um, are these two? One, two. If they didn't have separate stables, the animals would be kept in the longhouse on one side here in these stalls and the family left on the other side. Here in the center was where you had an open fire, which you can see here. There's the fireplace. And if we have another look at what these longhouses look like, you will notice that there are no windows. So there's very poor ventilation. Smoke could rise through a hole in the roof, but in general, these longhouses were probably quite smoky and not really beneficial for everyone's health. But they did know how to make sure they wouldn't get moldy, which of course is an issue if you build with wood. And they fulfilled the job that they had to do. One thing I want to show you about Vorbasse, uh, which is I think really fascinating, is this graphic here, right underneath. And you might say, well, that's clearly not the same place. And uh, yeah, you're both right and wrong. The top graphic is for us at the beginning of the 10th century. And underneath we have the same village at the end of the 10th century. We have the same number of houses, one, two, three, four, five, six. Six longhouses just like before. One, 
two, three, four, five, six. The areas inside the fence are much, much larger though. And there's not one small path that leads through it in the middle, but the entire village is more open. And the text is a bit vague on why exactly this happened. Apparently a lot of these restructurings of entire settlements happened, um, not just here, but also in other places in the 10th century. It was probably coordinated, centralized, and it might have had to do with um, some changes in taxation. But again, that's quite vague. And it might just be that there are no clear sources that tell us what happened here. So we can just assume. But yeah, that's where the Vikings spent their days. They might have told each other stories of their deities. Of heroes, of faraway lands, and the riches they saw there. For today, I think we'll leave it at that. Thank you for watching and I'll see you again next week.